right, friends, we're back. Your favorite podcast of the week. It's Location Weekly, and we're recording episode number 591. How's it going, Abriana? It's going, you know. Uh, been a really busy couple of weeks. Been trying to sneak in a, a you know, a playoff game. Last night was not good for the Braves, but, you know, everything is... Uh, falling into place planning for halloween for the kids the leaves are changing it's beautiful counting my blessings you know how about you yeah just crazy busy you know work uh schedules right now like between retail loco which is coming up uh, in what 10 days or so yeah and uh i'm off to uh to tokyo uh tomorrow so for the week and um for the CTEC conference, which the LBMA is participating in. So just a lot to do and, and a lot going on. Um, and uh, yeah, n- really not much time for anything else, but at least at least the Braves are still in the playoffs. You know, there's that. This is true, this is true. Yeah, we'll see if they can hang on, you know? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> for sure. So speaking of Retail Loco, uh, remind you guys again, um, if you haven't got your ticket yet, Retail Loco's October 26th and 27th uh, in Atlanta. Um, and you can just go to retaillo.co, that's retaillo.co, and you can see the uh, agenda, lots of great speakers um, and uh, sessions that are going on there. And uh, yeah, just uh, we'd love to see you there in person. We just confirmed uh, our final keynote uh, for uh, the the 27th, which is uh, Krista Rouse is going to come and uh, bring us some uh, some learnings from the Weather Channel as well. So um, pretty excited about that and real-time data and how we match that up with uh, advertising and, and all that's going on in that space. So uh, excited yeah. about that as well. Yeah, you guys have an amazing speaker lineup. Um, it's going to be awesome. Yeah. All right, well, we'll get back to uh, what we're here to do, which is uh, four stories uh, that we want to walk you through for this week as uh, normal, and I'll let Aubriana kick us off. All right. A facial story coming from the U.S. government here. And, uh, you know, when you come visit us, Steve, here in North America, you have to go through customs, right? And when you do that, we had self-serve passport kiosks for quite a while, but those are now being replaced and have been replaced by facial recognition cameras that are attended by those U.S. customs officers. Um, So the self-serve passport kiosks are now being phased out. They did not verify faces. And now they are introducing, um, you know, I think they're seeing more than 80% of travelers that are coming in. They're introducing these facial recognition um, you know, devices that, that they're going through. I know I just recently went on a trip this summer coming back from British Virgin Islands and I had to do this and, you know, coming back from Dominican Republic, same thing. So like it is being phased in and in April, the, um, U S customs and border protection reached its goal of installing cameras next to customs officers, um, in every U S international airport. So obviously like we've been seeing this for a little bit of time but it's helping to spot you know, foreign nationals without proper visas as they depart the country. Um, it's also helping obviously just verify who you are uh, when you come back in. So the software is gonna improve the security, efficiency at the ports, 
um, of entry and some privacy advocates are having a challenge with this, I think. Um, but, you know, facial recognition is one of those touchy, touchy points. I think this is an application where facial recognition actually does make sense. Um, you know, if you're traveling, you want to verify who you are and you want to enable those those officers to be able to do their job to the best of their ability. And I think that this um, is really helpful and applicable here. It's not like you're talking about a retailer having, you know, access to this data. I think it has to be um, certainly like protected and mandated and how it can be used and how it can be accessed, right? Um, but I think that this is a, a good application for this type of technology. So not anything like super groundbreaking, but obviously just the government being able to use this to verify who's coming in and out of our borders and, you know, that people are who they say that they are um, beyond just a picture on the passport. So I'd love to hear your thoughts about this as you're about to travel. Yeah, I mean, uh, for, for me, I, I, I think this is, you know, sort of just where, where airports need to be and where travel needs to be right now. Um, obviously, you go to you know, Tokyo, where I'm about to go, or China, or any of those types of markets, uh, you know, this has been in place for a long time. You know, when I travel between Canada and the US, uh, which I do fairly regularly, I have Nexus, uh, which uh, the kiosks, uh, when I return back into Canada, are facial recognition based. Uh, and those have been there for a number of years now. So, you know, I I'm with you. I think that, um, in the context of, of airports and security and travel, I think this is a good use case for facial recognition, right? Um, I think we need to do everything we can to make sure that, you know, these are the people that are supposed to be traveling are the people that are traveling. And um, I think having facial recognition be part of that and not just a, a scanned passport, I think makes a ton of sense to me. And I'll give you a quick little sidebar story. I was, I was coming returning from Heathrow to Toronto back uh, in May of this year. And there was a lot of problems with uh, at the airport in Heathrow and a lot of problems with their software systems and, and a whole bunch of things. And it was hours and hours of delays. Um, but what was really shocking to me is their entire uh, check-in system uh, at the gates and stuff went down. And so they had to check everybody in manually. And, and it was insane because literally you would, all, they would, you would go up, you would show your boarding pass and there was nothing, there was on the computer side for them to verify that you are that person. They have no image, they have nothing to scan it with. It, like it was just, do you have a, a boarding pass for this flight? You can get on. And I was like, wow, like that is, you know, the ultimate failure in security. Yeah, scary. Uh, anybody, could have boarded, anybody could have printed a piece of paper with a boarding pass and got on that plane. Yeah. Uh, I was in shock. Um, so it, it's, uh, I'm all for this. Um, and I think it makes, it's a perfect use case for facial recognition. So there you go. Anyway, there we go. All right. On to our second story. So last week we talked about uh, a co-op grocery in California that was um, using robots for uh, inventory. And uh, must be a trend that's developing now because we're, we're talking about it again this week. So there's a, uh, a grocery chain called Woodman, Woodman's Markets. Uh, they have 19 stores throughout Wisconsin and Illinois. And they're um, not doing um, uh, shelf uh, uh, technology uh, like we were talking about last week, but they're using robot, autonomous robots 
uh, across their stores, really around improving their processes around pricing and inventory. And they're using technology, uh, robots from a company called Badger Technology. Um, and they say that they've been able to cut down um, the, the time it takes for verifying prices at each store uh, from uh, about 40 hours per month, uh, doing it manually, to about eight hours using these robots. Uh, so a huge amount of, of time savings and cost savings um, related to that. Um, and so these robots go around, they scan the shelves, they ensure that the prices are compliant with what they're supposed to be. Um, and, uh, you know, paying the appropriate price tags. Um, they're also tapping into uh, product location data through um, the software that's tied into, you know, this robot uh, system. And they can then expedite order uh, fulfillment and warehouse management and, you know, pick and pack the right products from the warehouse side to then replenish the shelves and so on. So, um, you know, I think this is something we've talked about a little bit you know, over the course of this year in a number of cases where, you know, robots are, are being used in restaurants to, you know, prepare food or um, in, in retail for inventory purposes or things like this. So I think we're seeing more and more of this. Um, you know, there's always the question when you talk about this type of technology about, you know, the, uh, the impact on, on human labor side of things and the loss of jobs, um, you know, 40 hours down to eight, you know, to do the same kind of task, you know, what does that mean? And, 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 you know, what do we think about that? But at the end of the day, I think, you know, we're in an era right now where, especially coming out of COVID, you know, probably going into a recession, uh, you know, inflation, you know, where it is today, I think every business is just trying to survive retailers in particular. And if you can find ways to be more efficient and save money, you got to do it. So I'm, you know, kind of, of that, uh, you know, thinking on this at the moment, what are your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, I think that for sure, like if you don't think that, you know, robots and computers are coming for your job, we all need to take a look at that. Right. Um, but yeah, I agree. Like we've had so many challenges, especially when you think about this type of application, whether it's grocery or retail and keeping things functioning right from, from a staffing standpoint, it's been really, really challenging. And, and so you mentioned restaurants, right? And I think that we're going to continue to see a trend there because for so long, people didn't want to work. They were making more money perhaps, or close to it by just, you know, taking the unemployment options that they had throughout COVID. And now it's like, well, we, we couldn't hire anybody. Nobody wanted to come and work. And so now we're going to like fulfill that with with um, you know, a machine that can be much more effective and doesn't distract it and doesn't need to take a break or eat or <laughs> whatever, you know. Um, so I do think that there are some some probably good efficiencies and um, probably makes the margin of error less uh, through this approach. So I think that those are are definitely positive outcomes from this type of technology and innovation. Um, so let's move over to more of a story around, um, I would say, smart clothing, if you will, you know, kind of IoT, but also bringing in the sports element here. So Avery Dennison, which is um, a materials science and manufacturing company, has partnered with the San Francisco 49ers of the NFL. 
And this is a uh, exclusive partnership that they are, are doing that's gonna provide some new fan engagement avenues. And this is through their digitally connected clothing technology. Um, so this is a, kind of a big deal because it's like the first big step in American football for Avery Dennison solution that is called Embolex. And that provides on-garment branding. So I had to like, what does that even mean on-garment branding, right? Like, let's look into that. And they're really like smart embellishments that um, these digital, it's like digital labeling technology can be scanned with a smartphone and then it can drive access to this exclusive content that's really not available through any other method. So if you are in San Francisco, if you are a 49ers fan, um, check it out because this coming Sunday or next Sunday, actually, I should say the 23rd, um, during the 49ers Chiefs game at Levi's Stadium, they're going to launch this. It's going to be at the 49ers team store presented by Visa. And you can go and get this exclusive merchandise that provides these like really, um, you know, unique uh, experiential um, items. So I don't know that I'm going to be really scanning somebody's jersey as they walk through the airport or, you know, <laughs> down the street. But what I do think is this is interesting, like the merging of technology and clothing and like these, you know, really unique um, experiences. So I like that they're testing this out. I don't expect this to have a ton of mass adoption today, but, you know, I think we're going to start to hear more and more stories about this. And then there's going to be one where we're going to say this use case makes sense, or I can really see how they're going to scale this. But you know, I think that the ability to take this and, and have a different experience that maybe can be shared socially or uh, promote the team and promote the clothing, because there's a lot of people that might want to wear the clothing that aren't even true fans, right? Like they're not going to the game, but perhaps they want to have that piece of unique clothing. Um, and it's kind of like a walking, I don't want to say a walking NFT, but you know, it's kind of like a walking digital experience that is uh, somewhat unique. So I don't know, I'm intrigued by this story. Um, I like the technology that Avery Dennison is providing. They offer a lot of, you know, wide array of, of you know, material science, science um, technology that I find very interesting. So I think this is, you know, one to watch. Yeah, no, so I'm, I'm with you on, uh, on how you just described that, I think, you know, I've been, Avery Dennison's a company I've been sort of watching for a number of years, right? And, you know, obviously, you know, mainstream wise, everybody knows them as, you know, printing and labels and, and whatnot. But at the end of the day, a label can be on a piece of clothing um, as much as it can be, you know, something you stick on your, you know, uh, on your shirt, you know. Um, but it, it, it's, um, I, I think that um, we're seeing more and more, uh, you know, this type of technology being embedded into clothing or sporting goods or, or gear in this way. And, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking back to, you know, our friends over at Blue Bike, um, you know, Mikhail and company and, you know, the work that they were doing with Adidas and the World Cup and embedding their sensors into the game balls and being able to track, um, you know, the movement of the ball and, you know, relaying, uh, you know, velocity and, 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 you know, other um, information, you know, to the broadcasters and other things in real time. Um, and, and, you know, their, their business is, is similar to what we're talking about here in that, you know, they've got 
sort of these labels, if you will, embedded into products, and then you can scan, you know, those labels and you can create, you know, further digital engagement or learn, learn more about the, you know, the history or the supply chain that went into that product that was created or things like that. So I think there, there's a, an overall desire, you know, from the general public to know more about what they're buying and where it's coming from and things like that. So I think if you can lean into that aspect of it, you know, where was that 49ers jersey manufactured and and uh, the materials that, it, that, that are used in it and things like that, I think that becomes interesting. To your point, I think if you can then create social content um, that then drives more fan engagement and sharing and, and, you know, likes and things like that for the brand. I think that that's also a good thing. So, um, and I like that they've got, um, you know, they've set up this sort of, um, Mblex personalization station as well, uh, inside the team store, um, or they're planning to set one up inside the team store, uh, next year. Cause I think then you can, it's not even just buying stuff that has this embedded in, you can take your existing 49ers Jersey and go in and get it, you know, sort of, um, you know, uh, fixed up to, to include this type of tech in it. Right. Um, and I think that's interesting. And I think, so, you know, from, a, it's smart in thinking that it doesn't always have to be about selling a brand new Jersey. It could be about, you know, taking the ones that you already have. And then you know, paying something additional to to add some new sort of layer uh, of experience on top of it. So I, I like that as well. That's like right. a, a technical adult version of of bedazzling. <laughs> there you go. I like it. I like it. That's a good way to describe it. Okay, on to our final story. So this just a bit of a mashup uh, story um, because I keep seeing more and more announcements. And I thought we should just talk about this a little bit. So um, over the course of the last year or so, I've seen a lot of retail brands um, start to make announcements about uh, getting into the venture capital space. And so Sephora um, back uh, late last year announced, you know, this uh, incubator program of their own looking for startups um, to kind of come into Sephora and help move their brand forward and, um, you know, from a technology point of view, they were focusing specifically on black owned brands, uh, and things like that. Um, you know, putting a hundred million dollar plus into this fund. Um, and so there's, um, you know, a big movement around that, um, Home Depot similarly, uh, this past May announced that they're creating $150 million venture capital fund to invest in early stage companies, uh, Victoria's Secret. Uh, uh, earlier this year as well, announced an $18 million minority stake in a beachwear brand that has some tech associated with it. So I think from a, you know, when we look at the world that we're in um, at the LVMA and location and technology overall, um, you know, it's one thing if you're a tech startup and, you know, you're out raising capital and, um, you know, you're approaching the traditional uh, VCs that are out there or the retail tech VCs. Uh, if you're focused on, on retail and so on. But um, I think it's interesting to see that these brands directly are stepping up and saying, we're creating our own funds and we're creating direct relationships with the startup community. And I think to me, this is super appealing, right? Uh, as a you know person who also runs a startup, 
um, you know, I look at it and go, wouldn't I much rather have Home Depot as an investor because they're also potentially a customer, right? Um, that can use and prove out my technology and my use case. Um, you know, so it's much more strategic to me than sort of a third party venture capital uh, group that, you know, isn't directly in the space, but maybe has a portfolio of other tech companies uh, in the space. So, you know, I'm fi I find this a super fascinating trend. And I think we're, we're just going to see more and more of these. Um, you know, Estee Lauder also just recently made an announcement that they're, you know, launching a fund. And, and it seems to be going on and on, um, you know, uh, this year with these types of announcements. And I think it makes sense, right? I mean, if we look back, you know, our friend Charlie uh, over at GameStop, you know, in their labs, you know, they've been they've been doing this uh, to some extent for a long time now. But, you know, I think it's, it's becoming something very formalized, um, you know, with um, most of these groups, you know, not only are they creating funds, they're creating, creating separate leadership teams to lead these funds of people who come from venture capital. So they're putting expertise behind it, not just money. So I, I think it's very interesting. I think it's very exciting for the tech startup community and, uh, and for retail overall. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think you bring up so many great points from an entre entrepreneurial perspective and a, um, a business lens. But what I love about this story, I'm gonna talk a little bit about the other side is from a consumer perspective. And I think that one, specifically thinking about the Sephora application here and them in investing in um, Black-owned brands. So I, I think that consumers are excited to see this because it shows that a brand is not only investing in, um, you know, diversity, but they're actually like, they're real about it. They're not just hiring um, a Black chief diversity officer, right? They're actually investing in that. And I think it makes a big difference in the products and the services that they put out to consumers. So I think that we've seen probably in the last 10 to 20 years, you know, for example, like ethnic hair care has grown from, you know, this one little section that you had to find on the Walmart aisle to now being, you know, rows and, and such a, you know, from every range of like hair type and follicle, you can find exactly what you need. Um, you know, you went from skin care lines and only having something that was like made for skin that was fair like mine to now you have a lot of different shades and a lot of different offerings. And I think that's so important. And what it shows is that when, when a diverse group are forming your, your business decisions, um, the products that you put forth will actually be consumed by consumers and they'll love them. Right. And they'll give you feedback on them and then you can grow. And then you're catering to a whole new, um, you know, spectrum of people that you were not able to. So that goes back to the business, um, you know, piece that you're, you were mentioning previously, but I just, I think that this is long overdue and I'm glad to see, you know, specifically beauty brands investing in this and obviously some of the other big, big companies following suit. Yeah, completely agree with that. So, um, yeah, I, I think we're going to see more and more of those, right? I think a lot of, uh, other retail brands and, and even restaurant chains, I think some of the bigger groups, you know, we'll make similar moves uh, as we get, you know, in, into the rest of this year and into next year, you're going to see more funds open up, which I think is exciting for, uh, you know, for folks like us in the startup world. Like I can tell you from uh, our point of view at Ground Level Insights, you know, we're been in the capital raise uh, effort the last little while. And, you know, there, there's a retail brand 
a very well-known retailer out there that you know we're talking to right now that's potentially you know uh, looking at investing uh, in the company so um, and they don't even have a formal fund uh, yet they're just looking to do it as a, as a tr strategic play so amazing yeah so all right well that's our show for this week you've been listening and watching episode number 591 of location weekly thank you so much for your time um, again, if you don't have your ticket yet for Retail Loco, it's October 26th and 27th in Atlanta. Uh, just go to retaillo.co, retaillo.co, and you can learn all about the great agenda and speakers and uh, what's going on there. And we'd love to see you uh, in person uh, in just literally 10 days. So, um, yeah, uh, let's see you there. Thank you, everybody. Have a great week, and we'll see you soon. Take care. Bye.